Welcome to Lithium Ion Rocks, a podcast co-hosted by Lithium Ion Bull, Howard Klein, at Howard Klein 10, and Rodney Hooper, at Rodney Hooper 13. Broadcasting from Bull's Lair, Forest Hills, Queens, New York, the hometown of the legendary Paul Simon. And from South Africa, which Simon helped popularize in the 1980s with his Grammy-winning Graceland. And where Iron Man Elon Musk had a brutal childhood before moving to Canada as a teenager with only a backpack full of books. Rodney and I have decided to broaden our contributions to the social media ecosphere with the second, but not the second best, podcast focused exclusively on the lithium-ion battery materials chain. We couldn't wait for gear enabling direct conversation from two locations to arrive in time, so this first podcast may sound more like an audiobook from a carefully written script conveying lithium-ion rocks raison d'etre. Future episodes will have guest interviews and audience Q&A. Lithium-ion rocks is targeting Born in the USA, Jane and Joe Battery Pack, sophisticated Gen Xennials, thoughtful, self-directed, active investors, Tesla shareholders in Model 3, S, or X owners, or those aspiring to own, interested in rapid growth thematics, and picking individual stocks, including early-stage microcaps, those who understand that lithium fuels Tesla, and lithium fuels Mary Barra's GM and her all-electric future, and that lithium fuels Ford and VW's global alliance. Lithium-ion rocks also expects to have a substantial audience in Australia, Europe, Canada, and elsewhere. Rodney and I already have large followings amongst sophisticated equity funds, family offices, sell-side analysts, C-suite lithium executives, but not so much mutant ninja lovers. Rodney, does the investment world really need another lithium materials-focused podcast? Yes, Howard, I think it does. The pioneering global lithium podcast, the best, the worst, the first, has done a fantastic job of educating listeners about the industry. We believe the public discourse could be enhanced further with a greater focus on investment opportunities, with fundamental company analysis. We plan to get to the bottom of company financial and ownership structures and to discuss the risks and potential rewards of investing in specific names. Who has cash on the balance sheet? Who doesn't? If a project is fully funded, how leveraged is it? There are also glaring discrepancies of estimated capex per tonne of installed capacity between projects located in Western Australia. Could there be unavoidable capital raises for those that have underestimated their capex costs? After 2018's extreme focus on supply, we believe 2019 will be a year in which demand comes in to sharper relief and are interested in hearing views on growth directly from end users. Thanks for that, Rodney. And I agree. Joe's large canon of the written and spoken lithium word has been a great help to us all. And Jane Battery Pack, Emily Hirsch's voice, offers a great balance of prescient insights, questioning, and a sense of humor, which sets a very high bar for the lithium-ion rocks to emulate. I'd like to take this opportunity to suggest all listeners to Lithium Ion Rocks to visit our website, www.libull.com, which will host these podcasts and all prior issues of the Lithium Ion Bull. Also, if you're not already a direct subscriber to the Lithium Ion Bull, please enter your email at the site. And feel free to forward to all your friends. Rodney's written some insightful posts on LinkedIn, including a January 2nd note entitled, The Lithium Conundrum to Continue in 2019. He and I connected last September after his summer posts of overweight and underweights across a similar 10 to 30 stock short and long list that I've been tracking 
as the representative lithium investment. Comparing notes on SQM, mineral resources, and Piedmont Lithium, we found many commonalities in our thinking and some differences on other names. It's now January 15th, and Mr. Lithium Market has clocked nine trading days since t December's breakdown. More green than red, but a lot of sideways. I did a fair bit of tax loss selling to offset some early last year profit-taking, and I'm sure I'm not alone. In what should be a regular feature at Lithium Ion Rocks, Rodney and I will examine closely what information can be gleaned from the Mr. Market scoreboard alongside some top-down analysis to ensure we don't lose sight of the forest from the trees. But first, we'd like to get a disclaimer out of the way. In lithium-ion rocks, lithium-ion bull, and through our respective LinkedIn and Twitter posts, Rodney and I may share with our audience some rationale for a stock for which we have conviction, to own or not to own. If you agree or disagree with and act on or against the rationale of anything said or written in this or any other lithium-ion rocks or lithium-ion bull, that's your free choice. But to be clear, what you are listening to or reading is not investment advice and may not be unbiased. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation to buy or sell any security. Rodney and I are not registered investment advisors nor broker-dealers. Please visit libull.com for further disclaimers. I ain't talking about rich, I'm talking about wealth. Most lithium equities have started 2019 at or near their 52-week lows. Lithium chemical prices have trended downward. The China X-Works prices for carbonate have plummeted in the past 12 months, but represent a very small percentage of the overall market. Demand remains robust, and suppliers are securing term contracts for most of their production. In my opinion, 2019 is make or break for lithium. Another down year for lithium shares and a lot of investors may leave the space for good. When asked what the secret to making a small fortune in 2018 was, I replied, that's easy. You just needed to start with a large fortune and then buy lithium shares. The bottom line is that the smart money was short lithium shares in 2018 despite contract prices for certain companies rising. Optically, lithium equity shares look cheap at the moment, but execution is key, and there are risks like falling spodumin concentrate 6 prices that could mean further pain in technical-grade lithium carbonate prices and beyond that. Fast markets and others, while long-term bullish, are warning of short- to mid-term price pressures. I don't think that these can be easily dismissed. They need to be discussed. We could also find ourselves in a position where the oversupply narrative is correct for spodumin concentrate 6%, but not for battery quality material needed for higher spec applications like EV batteries. Ultimately, lithium is still a small market, and small additions and subtractions in supply demand can have outsized effect on pricing. This will change when the market reaches levels like a million tons per annum, hopefully by 2025, when a 10 to 15,000 ton addition or subtraction is inconsequential. In my opinion, based on Chilean export data, thanks to Alejandro Hess, SQM's Q4 average price is likely to be 3 to 4% below Q3. In addition, production is likely to come in between 40 to 42,000 tons for the year, 
below the recent company guidance of 45,000 tons. Whilst the price fall will be nowhere near Oricobra's numbers, what will the impact of that be on the market? Is the price shortfall and the volume shortfall already priced in? Companies that produce battery quality carbonate or hydroxide and sell into the European, US and Asian ex-China markets are likely to fare best from a price and price volatility perspective. What chemical quality is considered acceptable or unacceptable in Chinese batteries is still an unknown in my mind. We know from GM's experience that in certain instances, standards in China are likely well below those in South Korea and Japan. In addition to market demand growth, the diversification of battery manufacturers away from China will also result in exposure to more flexible credit and liquidity policies. Chinese companies often face a restrictive credit environment, resulting in them selling rather than holding their inventories. Albemarle at Wajina should not have that problem, and Howard and I agree that it's possible they could become the swing supply in Spodumen. Diversification by majors has been very significant in 2018. Not just Brian versus Hard Rock, but Ganfen's done exceptionally well to secure new feed from Altura, while increasing its offtake from Pilbara and strengthening its economic interest at Mount Marion since they finalized their Hong Kong listing. Recent share price movements highlight the risk of Spodumen concentrate-only projects and also the risk of being a converter-only without cheap feedstock in a declining chemical spot market. Vertical integration is key. As investors in individual lithium equities, we need to assess risk closely to avoid losses. And at the end of the day, regardless of whether broker research and the oversupply narrative is incorrect, we need to be cognizant that share performance and returns matter, both in the near and medium term, not just the long term. The majors and downstream end users will continue to execute deals with what we call the best of the rest deposits. They need inverted commas near-term production to meet growing demand and don't have 10 years to develop greenfield projects. Western Australia has the greatest potential to deliver new mid-sized hard rock projects with vertical integration upside. Brown deposits effectively meet the vertical integration criteria for carbonate. They also offer chloride as upside should solid state batteries take off. But bonds come with technical, environmental and geopolitical risks that must be considered. One thing to watch is compliance with offtake contract pricing terms. In Cobalt in the Congo, GEM effectively reneged on its term contract with Glencore something we witnessed in iron ore and coal a number of years back. For now, this is unlikely to happen to lithium chemicals, but it is something worth noting and could happen in the spodumen market. Thanks, Rodney. The immediate term still looks a bit choppy. Nomura just downgraded ALB and LTHM today. But I still have no doubt the long-term lithium outlook is very favorable, and those analysts writing lithium short stories that chemical prices will fall below 8,000 will be proven wrong, in my opinion. As I wrote when I indigested the Tangshi Red Herring, however, 
Morgan Stanley and other air supply cover artists who have relied principally on SQM fear-mongering have done a poor job alarming Mr. Market with more justified Tangshi Albemarle Greenbush's paranoia. Together with Pilgangora and additional Mount Marion volumes, Mount Catlin, Bald Hill, and now AMG's Mibra, a lot of spodumene supply is being produced, which is having an impact on spodumene prices. I've observed Chris Reed of Neometals to be a relatively astute market timer and gleaned some data points about spodumene from his selling the remaining 14% stake in Mount Marion. 2019, and perhaps longer, will likely see a hard rock balance of power shift back from the miners to the converters. But I don't believe egregiously so. Both sides need each other, so there's incentive to ensure strong margins and cash flows for all parties. How strong and for what time period is to be seen. Quarterly filings in February should be illuminating. Since the second half of 2018, Mr. Lithium Market has experienced long periods without detailed price guidance previously provided by new producers. Offtake agreements vary from company to company and offtaker to offtaker. A mating season is underway to haggle price out. Alliance Tawana traded only two days out of the last 30 since their merger amidst questions about whether their offtake partner Burwill will pay $880 if the market has moved below this figure. Last night, Alliance announced an amended offtake agreement with Jiangxi and Burwill with a pricing mechanism linked to, quote, carbonate and hydroxide prices in 2019, with, quote, price for each of the years 2020 to 2022 to be set by a formula with reference to market prices for comparable spodumene. I am interested to learn what comparable spodumene means. Alliance CEO Mark Calderwood inserted the words premium quality ahead of Bald Hills spodumene concentrate 6%. This is relevant as it appears that a wide iron ore-like quality price differential may be emerging in the spodumene space. 5.5% doesn't seem to cut the mustard. Anything below 5.7% grade may suffer steep discounts, perhaps below $600. But 6% plus with low impurities may fetch 800 or more per ton. Note Altura and Pilbara's emphasis on 6.1% plus with low iron and mica content. I'm feeling more comfortable today than I did yesterday about Alliance's pricing, which seems at the very least to be in the 700s over the course of this year. Again, their partner Jiangxi has a vested interest in Bald Hill's success. What Alliance's cash cost and profitability will be is the big question. With a five-year time horizon to finance a kid's college, say, or 15 years to finance a reasonable retirement, I strongly believe that for a Jane and Joe battery pack investor, it is hard to go wrong owning what is today, what has always been, and likely always will be, the lithium oligopoly. Livent and Ganfeng are my favorites. Tangxi is uninvestable to most non-Chinese investors on Shenzhen. I just don't feel personally aligned with the anointed China SOE Tangxi progressing toward what looks to be the Chinationalization of Eduardo Bitran and the Chilean people's lithium. So even if they list on Hong Kong, I'd still avoid the share unless it gets crazy cheap. Albemarle and SQM both have significant positive attributes and meaningfully negative ones. On balance, I prefer ALB. SQM's corporate governance and Chile's heavy hand make me very cautious. 
I drank the SQM Kool-Aid for a while, calling them Charday's smooth operator with lack. But they still have a lot to prove in my mind as they attack Atacama with a lithium-first approach rather than as a byproduct of potash. They're also making their first foray into hard rock and making battery-grade hydroxide with Kidman's Mount Holland. I put mineral resources in the same bucket as these large-cap lithium players. That is, I see a big six at present with an investment mindset, not a chemical volume market share mindset. And of all these players, I sleep the best knowing my interests are aligned with mineral resource founder, CEO, and principal shareholder, Chris Ellison. The confidence to produce, at scale, high volumes of 6% spodumene concentrate should not be underestimated. Only Talazin and Mineral Resources have that experience at present, and even Mount Marion is not quite there yet. I'm watching Pilbara, Altura, and Alliance's ramp-ups carefully. Volumes, grades, and most importantly, operating costs. In the medium term, one to three years, I believe we will likely again see a risk-on market phenomenon that will surpass 2017's fleeting lithium unicorns. I've suggested Lithium Mr. Market may follow Sir John Templeton's famous maxim that bull markets are born on pessimism, grow on skepticism, mature on optimism, and die on euphoria. I see 2019 reverting to growth on skepticism, and in an age of fast-moving trading algorithms causing massive velocity, it's conceivable that 2019 could be a history repeat of 1999 if, say, China and U.S. announce a great trade deal. The U.S. economy continues to hum, attracting more investments like SK Innovations, $1.7 to $5 billion battery plant in Auto Alley, USA, Georgia, and Volkswagen's $800 million electric vehicle plant in Auto Alley, USA, Tennessee. Nobody complains about velocity when it's to the upside. Lithium is a major growth thematic with a 10 to 20-year time horizon. It's a very young industry growing very rapidly, opaque, which means Jane and Joe battery packs who do their homework can outsmart the ETF robots and enjoy the satisfaction of being one of the successful, dying breed of active stock pickers. Now to move on to commentary about Mr. Market. The standout performance has come from South American brands since the start of the year, including SQM who recently settled a long-standing dispute with local authorities in Chile and agreed to partially reduce pumping rates and implement a $25 million monitoring program. I'm of the opinion there is a risk that an independent water analysis in the Salar de Atacama may recommend that existing brand pumping rates be lowered permanently. For now, the market likes the SQM news flow and the finalization of Tangshi's purchase of 23.7% from Nutrien. One share that stands out for me is Neo Metals. Having agreed the sale of its 13.8% stake in Mount Marion to Minres and Ganfen for 104 million Aussie dollars. Bearing in mind that the company has 40 million dollars in cash and receivables in addition to this settlement. At the moment, its market cap is trading at slightly below those combined values. Does the market feel that spending the cash on a 10,000 ton hydroxide plant is a doomed strategy? Considering their other recycling and vanadium businesses, the current share price and market cap 
seem extremely bearish. If this continues, management will likely consider corporate activity around non-core assets to realize value. The finalization of a proposed package for Pilbara's funding of Stage 2 seems to have been well received, although the issuing of 50 million Aussie dollars of equity at 64 cents feels dilutive and the timing unfortunate. Perhaps we'll get feedback from Pilbara shareholders after the show, but it certainly looks to us like Ganfen got a bargain. If we look back through history at the last meaningful capital raise by Pilbara and consider the extensive milestones they've achieved since that raise, 64 cents does seem low. We'll also need to keep an eye on the projected timing of the ramp up of stage two and where offtake conversion capacity is at that point. The Minres Albemarle 50-50 joint venture has received a lot of attention in the market. 1.15 billion US dollars for 50% of Wajina is not an insignificant purchase price, considering the projected capex costs for the proposed hydroxide plants, for which Albemarle will need to contribute its share. Clearly securing a 50-50 arrangement rather than buying a 49% minority stake added to the transaction premium as would the 100% marketing rights Albemarle now holds. Albemarle is now looking at approximately $2 billion in total costs to secure a long-life nameplate capacity of effectively 50,000 tons per annum of hydroxide. Bedding down production of 100,000 tons of hydroxide, approximately one and a half times the size of the entire hydroxide market in 2018, isn't going to be straightforward. If there are construction delays and or ramp-up delays, it will be interesting to see what the joint venture decides to do with all that excess spodumin concentrate. Moving on to the Tanchi SQM minority stake purchase from Nutrien for over $4 billion. No meaningful presence in the company boardroom and Tanchi will only receive dividends, no asset level cash flows. My question is this, is the introduction of Tanshi as a roughly 24% shareholder going to affect whether Corfo extends SQM's lease in the Atacama beyond 2030? I'm still at a loss as to what Tanshi's logic was for doing this deal and loading the balance sheet with debt. Further, Tanshi was supposed to raise approximately a billion dollars on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange to lower its gearing. This hasn't happened yet and the Shenzhen price is trading at low levels already. Given the experience of Ganfen's Hong Kong listing, we could see a seriously discounted Hong Kong listing price for Tanshi. Time will tell if there is method in their madness, but for now I'm in the camp that says $4 billion could have been spent elsewhere securing a much higher net effective exposure to lithium chemical production. As mentioned earlier, I have SQM estimated at 40 to 42,000 tons of production for 2018 and sub 70,000 tons for 2019. The bottom line is Tangshi is hugely leveraged to lithium prices and SQM's dividend payment policy. There's also a rumor that there are material cost overruns at Quinana, which means if lithium prices fall, Tangshi is vulnerable. Other interesting developments in the market include Piedmont's submission of various permits, 
the review of these applications should be complete by late 2019. Piedmont is located in the logistically blessed Tin Spodumen Belt in North Carolina, and thanks to its location and the low cost of key inputs, this would-be vertically integrated company should be in the low-cost quartile for hydroxide. Sigma announced a tripling of its resource to around 50 million tonnes at a grade of 1.34%. This is also another exciting company and we will be discussing it in time. In other news, Cobalt27 has acquired a 1.5% of gross revenue royalty and two Aussie dollars per tonne of ore mined from West Gold Resources that has an exposure to the Mount Marion mine. The payment is 250,000 Aussie dollars in cash and 200 tons of physical cobalt. There is limited information on the exact size of the resource involved. One broker report mentions between 8 and 20 million tons. That's a widespread. Once there is more clarity, I will look at modeling the metrics of the deal. We've had Neometal sell its stake in Mount Marion, and now West Gold Resources is selling a royalty. Are these warning signs for future Spodumen concentrate prices? I've created a hashtag on Twitter, the big long, to describe my lithium equity philosophy. If listeners leave this podcast thinking about only one thing, it is that they should allocate capital to this space. Even if it's into the LIT, the Global X Lithium and Battery ETF, or the inauspiciously timed launch of BATT from the team at Amplify ETF. Lithium-ion rocks will be speaking about these and other vehicles in future episodes. I calculate aggregate lithium equity market cap is about $25 billion at present, which is based on lithium carbonate equivalent production of about 275,000 tons last year. While most forecasts focus on 2025 demand of 900,000 to 1 million tons, the hockey stick really will only begin at that level, as early adopting 8 to 10% EV penetration from that point accelerates into mass EV adoption. Should production quadruple, there's no reason not to expect aggregate lithium equity market cap to triple or quadruple in this six-year time frame. The lithium oligopoly comprises 60 to 70% of these volumes. A Jane and Joe battery pack can pursue what I call the, quote, comfortable lithium investment strategy, capturing, say, three times growth from 25 to 75 or 100 billion aggregate lithium market cap in six years, which, if I'm right, equates to 25% annual return. In other words, 100,000 investment today could yield, say, 300,000 after tax, enough to cover four years tuition, room and board, and an expensive private university. I think a mix of the big six, Livent, Ganfeng, Mineral Resources, and some ALB will get you there with meaningful probability. Likewise, these names should provide for a, quote, comfortable 15-year retirement plan for those like me, say, who just turned midlife crisis 50, and have in mind the quaint notion that people like me actually retire at 65. I'm convinced that successful value investors, Warren Buffett, Lee Cooperman, Mario Gabelli, and activist Carl Icahn, live as long as they do because they actively invest every day. But I believe over the next one to three years, a quote, comfortably numb investment strategy is possible. 
by which I mean new juniors could repeat the get-rich-quick and long-term hold attributes of, say, Pilgangora and Mount Holland. Massive value creation in a short space of time. A handful, perhaps two handfuls, of select names in the 50 to 200 million market cap range today will highly likely achieve Unicorn Plus status. As 2019 begins, it is an excellent time for Jane and Joe battery packs to sharpen their pencils and find the comfortably numb winners. No doubt a risk on period will again return to broader equity markets and commodity equities. Another fear of missing out melt up in lithium is certainly possible. Third years of presidencies are almost always good for markets. After Bill Clinton got impeached in 1998, in the internet bubble topped in late 1999. I still believe in lithium nirvana. When there are dozens of EVs to choose from and EV penetration doubles from two to 4%, US investors will increasingly make the connection to developers of lithium fuel. Watch Bloomberg new energy finance for penetration rates and battery cost declines among other great data. Sam Jaffe of Cairn Advisors waxes eloquently in his first five minute YouTube channel about the energy storage opportunity. Fully funded Lithium Americas in Namaska look undervalued with a three-year view, in my opinion, presuming they execute well, though I have some concerns about their complicated capital structures and debt levels. In one of 2018's great ironies, blue chip American investment bank Morgan Stanley advised China's Tangxi on the 4.1 billion significant step toward the Chinationalization of Chile's prized asset. Congratulations to Nutrien Management for some entertaining public posturing with SQM and Julio Ponce. But more importantly, on getting to the finish line, a 24% block trade at a 50% plus premium. I am impressed by Japan's SoftBank and their $100 million bet into Namaska. I hope 2019 will witness additional venture capitalists connecting the dots to North American lithium fuel for non-Chinese EV battery and cathode suppliers offering VC-like returns. I keep coming back to the same mantra, economics 101, demand is greater than supply equals tight markets. Elevated, sustained high prices should enable 30 to 50% EBITDA margins for lithium developers and producers for a long period. Goldman Sachs was very right to draw attention to lithium in December 2015. They said, tongue in cheek, that lithium is the new gasoline a preposterous notion considering the entire lithium equity market cap of $25 billion is equal to one year's CapEx at Exxon. Last July, after Fast Market's industry flagship ninth lithium supply conference in Las Vegas, Goldman upgraded Albemarle to buy and published a note saying, lithium sell-off overdone. This time is different. Unprecedented commodity cycle. I agree with this. They pointed to 15 to 25% growth in a chemicals industry that normally grows in the low single digits. 2018 witnessed a certain degree of maturity as many more institutional players have started to climb the learning curve, but it's still limited. The detailed prospectuses for Ganfeng, Livent, and Tangxi provided much needed information about each of these companies and the industry at large. The Livent IPO marketing process was well done for both institutions and Jane and Joe Battery Pack through their online roadshow. More investment banks with American 
based sell side analyst and their distinct sensibilities like Live and Syndicate members, Bank of America, Goldman, Nomura, Credit Suisse, and Loop Capital are offering differentiated narratives than what you often hear from Australia, Canadian, or South American based lithium noisemakers. Big, trusted consultants like McKinsey and BCG have also brought their credibility to the thematic, and other commodity stakeholders and analyzers like S&P Global, CRU, and the London Metals Exchange. Benchmark Minerals, as always, put on some great events in New York this week in partnership with Bank of America and Deutsche Bank. The research consultancy Roskill deserves significant kudos in 2018. They scored big with their supply and demand and market analysis underpinning Livin and Tangxi prospectuses, as well as Namaska's early last year. December 2018 witnessed the lithium oligopoly decidedly consolidating with checks small and big to the nearest term sources of supply. This fact alone should ensure that lithium chemical prices stay high for a considerable period. Almoral Mineral Resources together with Foxy Lady Wajina. Mineral Resources and Ganfeng consolidating Mount Marion. Ganfeng making James Brown's Altura feel good. Ganfeng doubling down with Ken Brinsden's Gigamine. Ganfeng, Ganfeng, Ganfeng. In Lithium Ion Rocks, Lithium Ion Bull, and through our respective LinkedIn and Twitter posts, Rodney and I may share with our audience some rationale for a stock for which we have conviction, to own or not to own. If you agree or disagree with and act on or against the rationale of anything said or written in this or any other lithium-ion rocks or lithium-ion bull, that's your free choice. But to be clear, what you are listening to or reading is not investment advice and may not be unbiased. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation to buy or sell any security. Rodney and I are not registered investment advisors nor broker-dealers. Please visit libull.com for further disclaimers.